Have you been to any good West Side bars lately? I have, Pat. Burnsies. Burnsies. Yeah. Interesting place, I'd have to say. Very interesting. Best beer I had that night, PBR. Yeah, I went with the Deschutes Fresh Squeeze. This was the only craft uh, option. How fresh did you feel that was? <laughs> well, it was the first time I've ever seen a, a, a double bill, a band that just changed clothes halfway through and then came back and did the opening and the, and the headline act. Great band, though. Defenders of the Faith headlining, still life opening? That's correct. Iron Maiden opening for Judas Priest. All right, well, let's talk about beer. I'm Pat, Pat Woodward. I'm joined today by my friend Mark Richards and Hans Gorsuch. We're going to drink some Belgian beer today. Wow, that sounds delicious. So we're starting in uh, with the Vesmala Triple. Comes in at 35 to 40 IBU. 9.5%. This beer has a luscious white head on it for sure, and it's uh, sticking around too. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it just like the definition of creamy almost, oh, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Quite effervescent. Well, those two things are sort of prerequisites to be almost to be a Belgian beer if we take the sour ales out. And I think both of those things then contribute to really how much you can smell. Now, I was talking about the history of this beer. So this goes back to 1919 when this uh, first came out. Yeah, so all of the triples that followed basically were influenced by this, by this one. It's probably one of the most important beers in the, in the beer catalog. Now, Pat, you were just recently in Belgium. Did you stop by this brewery? I did. Can you? You did. Well, okay, let me preface that a little bit. We were going from Amsterdam to Brussels. We went to La Trappe, which is just on the Dutch side of the border. I had a, a wonderful tour there, uh, had lunch, had a, a beer or two. And then on the way down to Brussels, I'm like, oh, man, it wouldn't be that hard to detour, you know, 20 minutes out of the way and we could go to Westmala. I wasn't originally planning to go there, but as soon as I realized that, it's like, okay, we're going. It so, doesn't matter what country you're in. That's what you always say. You know, it wouldn't be hard to just go to this one more brewery. <laughs> yeah too true i've been along that i've been along <laughs> on that train before so we drove up to the monastery and pretty soon it was it was very clear the visitors weren't uh, weren't welcome they have a cafe across the street a place called the trappiston cafe and so we went over there it's kind of a funky place it's sort of halfway between a country club dining room and a denny's <laughs> and did they have acceptable food? Food. We we didn't eat there. We just had a. I think I had a plate of bread and cheese. You should get the cheese when you go to the Trappist monasteries for sure. I like that idea. Vesmala only distributes two beers: the double and the triple. And at the cafe, you can get the double on draft, but the triple is only bottled, so they they don't put any in kegs. You can also curiously get a half and half. They would serve you half double half triple mixed together kind of a black and tan tan, yeah did you try that i didn't that makes me want to do that now well the good thing is of course anybody can do that you just have to go down to the store and buy them and you can do it at home but i had to try the triple so what do you guys think about this beer i really like it a lot i will say uh the alcohol is evident and probably uh should be at nine and a half percent yeah by the way that's the that's sort of the upper range of the style guidelines for a triple so this is 
the strongest triple. Well, it's probably not the strongest triple out there, but it's of the well-known ones, it's the strongest. There's definitely, although it's extremely dry, a sweetness to this. Yeah, I would say a perceived sweetness almost. Mm-hmm. And you're right about the hops. It, it is a hoppy beer for the region. I looked it up, too, and they use only whole leaf hops. They don't use hop pellets at all. Right. Fewer and fewer beers you have fall into that category. I can't remember what hops are used in this, and I think it actually changes from time to time, but Styrian Goldings, East Kent Goldings, Sots, uh, you know, kind of noble continental kind of hops. One of the things I will say, as hoppy as this is, it's even hoppier when you're at, yeah. when you drink it fresh right there at the cafe. And, and there's kind of this almost imperceptible transition from yeast spiciness to hop spiciness. And, and I can't actually tell where one ends and the other one begins. But it's just a beautiful integration. So maybe we could put the triple in context. From my limited understanding of it, the triple came out at a time where it was more and more in fashion to have a lighter colored beer. Where dark beers and brown beers were seen as coarser, less evolved. And the fact that malts were starting to be uh, created in a way where you could have these light beers. And this was in part a response to, to that kind of change in people's expectation. Certainly, I think the popularity of Pilsners influenced a lot of things. And so you're right. Yeah, the golden beers. And we'll, we'll come back to that in the next beer when we talk about Duvel. The other thing I recall about this specific, the, the move to triple is it may have also happened at a time where taxes went up on spirits. We've talked before about how strange outside forces change the character of beer. And if in a region, you know, the spirits were getting higher taxed, one of their responses was, well, I can brew a higher alcohol beer. And I think it's even more than that, because I think in Belgium, there was a brief period of prohibition on spirits. And at, during that time, the beers all got stronger. What do you think about the spicy, fruity mix it definitely has some of that spiciness maybe from, from the yeast. Also, when you have it fermented with candy sugar, yeah. uh, which I'm sure there's a, a significant amount in That's this as the to, fermentable to, to make it so dry. Yeah, I, I think I read that the sugars push the esters, actually, mm, more, okay. than, more than the phenols. But, like, disproportionately, like, you totally get that. But that's another thing about this beer. It's so, like, leaned out in the middle, despite the fact that it's so high in alcohol. If you were to say fruits on here, what kind of fruits would you pick up? I smell mostly alcohol. I'm getting alcohol. <laughs> that's that's 100%, 100% what I was thinking. Is, is all I was getting was alcohol right that second. Do you think alcohol uh, alcohol is a fruit? I mean, it's at least, it, could it be considered a vegetable? Like in the, uh, that's so funny. That's exactly what I was trying to get past this alcohol smell. Um, well, it's in the food pyramid, isn't it? I think, it, yeah, alcohol is at, actually at the top of the food pyramid, so... Pat, do you get any fruit off of this? Do you what? What do you detect? Mm. I mean, if you had to hunt for banana, maybe, uh, maybe some some cidery note, like an uh, apple pear vein, maybe. It's, but uh, I'll tell you, I get a lot more of the phenolic kind of pepper, mm. and then also a little uh, bit of clove. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I expected banana and maybe the tiny bit of bubble gum, and I'm not actually getting it like either of those. Yeah, to me. The beer is kind of all about the spice and um, not so much fruit. But if I were really pushed somewhere between banana and palm fruit. Do you know what fruit? (laughs) Do you know about palm fruit? Um, Like a pomegranate? 
No, palm fruit is just a term for uh, a certain group of fruits. It includes apples and pears um, and maybe something else. But if you have something that you don't know if it's more apple or pear, just say palm fruit. It makes you sound sophisticated. It, and uh, It's akin to saying stone fruit, yeah. where, you're, where you're not identifying a specific one, but you're instead pointing at those that have a pit of a yeah. certain kind. That's good. That's good. You know, when I first started uh, doing little beer reviews and things like that, I kept reading, you know, stone fruit, and, and I kept going to the store looking, looking for stone fruit, yeah. and I'm like, I don't see this anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with stone fruit is they don't, they never ripen. They're always hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about this beer, but considering how high alcohol it is, it, it's very drinkable, this beer. Like, I don't know. It, it It's lovely. And the lean middle, that sugar it gives it, um, it doesn't really have breaks on the end. Um, the bitterness isn't so much about finishing bitter in this. Um, mm. It's there, but not, not in, a, in a big way. This is a lovely beer. Moving on to Duval. So Duval, like devil. Nailed it. I'm going to pour this Duval into a tulip glass here. I'm going to tilt the glass just a little bit. And I'm going to leave about a quarter of an inch in the bottle. Some people drinking... A beer like this might choose to go ahead and take that bottle and pour the dregs, pour the last quarter inch that still has some of the yeast in it in there if they like that um, in their beer. Some people like that, some people don't. But we've got a full three fingers of head in this tulip glass, uh, a pretty white head. And if you leave it sit for a little while, it'll even get a little island. It'll get a little devil's tower right in the middle of it, kind of like a, a root beer float. So if you pour that in there, it depends, you know, if you're one of the, uh, I mean, that could wow somebody or turn them off. You could either say, hey, what are these dregs? Or, yo, brah, I got a hazy beer. First of all, I don't mind the dregs. I like that stuff. But I think it would be almost a sacrilege to do it to this beer because they go to such great lengths to make this thing so clear. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about their fermentation and all they do before that bottle leaves the building. So I'll kind of walk you through with the parts I can remember. So they do the, you know, the primary fermentation lasts about six days. Then they drop it down below freezing for uh, they a lager it for like three days. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Then and and at what point are they doing that? After they're doing that after the first week, so they're doing primary fermentation and finishing that after. Okay. A week. And then, like for three days, they lager it. They drop it down to thirty Fahrenheit. So it's it's doing it's doing its ale thing, and then suddenly they're they're lagering it, but they're not done then. Well, they're just getting started, right? Because then, what do they do next? Remind me. There's a cold crash next. It goes even lower. That's right. Yeah. So then they cold crash it. I think for they, a week. Then I think they actually filter it. Then I guess as a, they're getting ready to do the bottling. Then they'll, then they'll bottle and they'll add the same yeast that was in primary. They'll add sugar. They'll bottle. They'll do the tertiary. They'll do the third fermentation. And that's for two weeks in the bottle at normal. And and then it goes something like six weeks at, I think, 40 Fahrenheit or something like that. So they've gone to great lengths to give you this beautifully clear beer that you can't get much paler than this beer. If you have motor oil imperial stout on one end, I mean, this is the opposite extreme. It would be against the brewer's intent for me to pour the yeast in. So this would be the right moment, I guess, to say, 
what style of beer is this? A Belgian Golden Strong. But of course, Belgians don't really believe in styles, so I don't even know when that name originated. It could have been a Michael Jackson thing. Uh, I would we, say in comparison to the West Mile Triple, I, I would actually say this is more bitter to me. I would say this is more bitter, a little less sweet. I don't know if they use candy sugar in this one. They do. Probably. I think it's because it's drier. I think this is drier. And I think that's what makes the perceived bitterness. And higher. drinking that last one, I would have said it was incredibly dry. <laughs> yeah. This one's not quite as strong. It's maybe 8.5%. Okay. Well, certainly a heavenly pour for a devil of a beer. But here's the thing. If you remember, kept getting a nose full of alcohol on the previous beer, right? And it was an obstacle. Like, we couldn't maybe smell some things we wanted to. And in this beer, it's a little more well hidden. It's deceptively not alcoholic. And Michael Jackson had a really, really good description of that. He called this a fist of steel in a velvet glove. <laughs> wow. I think Rob Halford said something very similar in Turbo Lover. So I think that just speaks to <laughs> how do you make a beer of this high alcohol content, make it so balanced, and I think the dryness has something to do with that, but make it so balanced that alcohol is not the predominant thing in your nose or the predominant thing in the finish. I actually don't know how they do it. It's very dry. They're using Pilsner malts. Started by answering some of that question, explaining this this long process that includes fermentation at different temperatures. Sometimes it seems like an ale. Sometimes it seems like a lager. And I also think giving it the time and the different parts of the process like change what's going on in the beer. You guys had the Belgian single that I made. I brought some back. I did. That was lovely. Very good. That was made with the Duvel yeast. You know, I tasted many bottles of it, and the longer it sat in the bottle, it tasted better every time. So I think there's something about that profile that just, it needs time to develop. And if you're home brewing and you're using that yeast in particular, but actually any of these yeasts, I think you're going to get a better beer if you give it a couple months sitting in your basement in the bottle. And you should be bottling if you're making these beers. It's sort of a waste to make a Belgian Golden Strong or a Triple and then keg it. Agreed. We can't just assume that during bottle conditioning, we can't assume that in these beers, the only thing going on there is contribution of carbon dioxide. We have to know that there are some other things going on there. It's not just a mechanical thing of, oh, Mm. I need to get bubbles into my beer, right? And I think some of these beers suggest there there is other stuff going on. Well, absolutely. The yeast is still active. If you bottle condition, you you know, the yeast by definition is active. And one thing it does, of course, is it's going to take up some oxygen. That's a good thing. And we'll continue to develop the complexity of the beer. Now, we were talking in the Vesmal about the spice, fruit, alcohol kind of mix. I find this used to have a very distinctive kind of flavor. I mean, I feel like I could pick this out. I think it has a unique yeast character in the nose, but I don't know that I could compare it to a specific thing. This yeast, which is kind of a famous yeast was isolated from a Scottish yeast from a Scottish brewer called McEwan's. This is nothing like a Scottish ale. If you go through the whole story, there's this famous uh, Belgian brewing scientist, Jean de Clerc, and he went through, and in that yeast, there was something like 10 to 20 different strains, and he presumably just picked one out. I mean, Scottish yeasts are a very different beast. The other interesting history about this beer, of course, is it used to be dark. It I was, didn't know that. It was not until the 1970s when they started making this uber pale. 
Interesting. And that was absolutely a response to market forces. You know, Pilsners were popular. People wanted pale beers, and so they said, let's make this as pale as we can. We are going to be drinking the newest member of the Trappist Brewing family, Tre Fontaine, uh, this monastery and the brewery is in Rome. It's an amazing place to go in the sense of the monastery because this monastery was built on the site where St. Paul was executed, and he was executed by decapitation. It's called Tre Fontaine. That means three fountains because the legend is his head bounced three times, and every time it hit the ground, a spring sprang up. If you just wandered into this beer and, and smelled it, what do you think, Hans? I would say that it has herbs in it that aren't hops. The second I stuck my nose in the glass, it reminded me of an attempt I made as a home brewer to figure out a good recipe to really get some seriously aromatic herbs into a beer without using hops. And I didn't feel my attempts were successful, but they were interesting to me. And the second I stuck my nose in this glass, I was brought back to what those smelled like. In my beers, lavender and some other culinary herbs uh, were in there, and it was the lavender that really threw the mix off and didn't make it successful. In this beer, it's not that. It's something else. It's not unpleasant, honestly, in the nose. It's just a very different experience than what you expect sticking your nose in a glass for a beer is all. But we have to remember original beers didn't have hops in them. They had herbs. That is true. I, I guess I might as well, you know, not dance around the subject anymore. This beer is made with macerated eucalyptus leaves because on the monastery there they grow eucalyptus. I don't know how this happened. Somebody planted eucalyptus and then they had a fewer cases of malaria and they thought that it was because of the eucalyptus. Just turns out the eucalyptus uh, needs a lot of water and so it drained like oh, the standing that's water. That's a good story. I like that. So they've been growing eucalyptus there for centuries and they make a liqueur that's called eucalypto. Developed Medicinal, as- I'm sure. I'm sure it, I'm sure it's very medicinal. It's popular in Russia, and you know all of the spirits <laughs> they drink in Russia are medicinal. But apparently then, when they decided they wanted to make beer, they said, well, we want to make a beer with eucalyptus. Then they had to try and figure out how to make that work, and they decided to make a triple. And that's what we have here. I don't particularly love this beer. It's off-putting, and at the same time, that medicinal quality, it, you can... You understand what you're having, and I'm glad that I'm having one-third of a beer. There are liqueurs that I really like that are very medicinal and have aromatic herbs in them, and this is not unlike some of those. So in and of itself, that's not a bad thing. And there's some residual sweetness in this beer. This beer is not as dry as the Duval we just had, in my opinion. And for some reason, that and a little bit of maltiness, I think, helps with this one. Yeah, I think this would be a bit of a train wreck if it was uber dry, like the Duval. I reviewed this beer on the blog a while back. I actually it. find this beer better than you originally reviewed it. Yeah, I I read that review. And this to me, this is not unpleasant. Like, I don't want to drink a six-pack of it either. But for what it is, it, it, it kind of works. But I don't think just because you get those strong aromatic herbs in a thing, that in and of itself doesn't make it off-putting. There are so many Italian and Swiss Mm. and French and German like liqueurs that are uber intense uh, with aromatic herbs. And even though those are strong, they can also be good. Well, we should say that this beer only came on the market in 2015. This is the youngest for now Trappist Brewery. There's another one coming. Did you guys know that? I didn't. Where is it? No. 
England. It's going to be in England. Really? So you say this is the newest Trappist. Who brews this beer? So this is the, the monks at Trefontaine. And so is it the monks? There's sort of three criteria, I should say, that you have to meet to get the authentic Trappist logo. The beer has to be brewed on the monastery grounds. The monks have to be involved in the operation of the brewery in some way. And oftentimes that might just be that they are kind of directors of the board and whatnot. And then the third thing is that the profits have to go to the upkeep of the monastery or to charity. I was kind of gobsmacked when I saw it on the shelf at Grandview Market District. And you also saw it at Wylands, didn't you? I saw it at Wylands today. Because when I was in Rome, I did not see it anywhere except when I went to the monastery itself. This monastery, they brew once a week. And yet, you know, we're getting here in Columbus. I think that's insane that they brew one day a week. I just walked into a grocery store and it was on the shelf here. I know that when they brewed this originally, one of the monks had a severe cough. (laughs) (laughs) He he dropped a cough drop into the bottle that we just (laughs) opened. Mark, you love this beer, don't you? It tastes just like a cough drop. It's it's tasting not too bad to me. I have to say, I, I like it better than I was expecting to like it. Maybe I like it because I do have a cough right now. That that actually explains a lot. It could be. I haven't heard Hans cough since he took a sip. It's true. Actually. I think it's working. It's working. Pat, thanks for getting this beer. Oh, yeah. This is this is a, a treat, actually. I will say that it was it was about nine dollars for a twelve ounce bottle. So you do pay a premium yeah. for getting that tiny brewery in Rome sending their beer over here. Pat, that's a very interesting beer. Thanks for bringing that back. And yeah. Well, I didn't bring it back. I just bought it in Columbus. Oh, you oh, shut the front door. <laughs> Where did you buy it in Columbus? <laughs> well, Wildlands? Yeah, you've been listening? Like, no. Okay, we're on to another beer. This is one that you can't buy here, to my knowledge, that I uh, I did bring back from Belgium because I knew Hans is a big fan of this brewery. This is Jam de Bois, a triple by Brasserie de la Seine. It makes me so happy you brought this beer back. One thing I, I learned today when I was looking at their website that I didn't realize, Brasserie de la Seine, but this is only the second brewery in Brussels. Until they opened, the only brewery in Brussels was Cantillon. Kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? I've only ever been to Cantillon. So this is labeled a Belgian Revolution Triple Hoppy Triple. 8%. 8%. So we're we're working down to more manageable things as we move the podcast. It's a lovely label. There's a military man. He's in gray. He's sitting on a cannon that's going off. He's got what looks like a hand grenade in one hand. And crucially, the leg that you see on this side of the cannon has, it's a peg leg. Because that's what... Jam de bois means in French, it means... Jam the boy? <laughs> you could say it that way, but <laughs> jam de boy, jam de bois, it all means peg leg, wooden leg. Bois is the French term for tree. So my limited experience with this brewery is that they have these kind of graphic labels and that they often have a historical or political kind of mm-hmm. context to either the name or the story behind the character and the name. What do you think of the beer? It's it's hazy, I'm going to say, translucent, very pale, almost as pale as the Duvel, but but not clear. This one's hazy. It is more hop than some of the other beers we've had. It's got a more hoppy finish. And interestingly, in the nose, like it almost has some Brett thing going on in the nose. Mm. Like There's some really interesting uh, aromas mm. in those that I, I, I can't pinpoint. There's some lacing on the glass. What style do you say this is? Is it a triple? It's a triple. 
They're calling it a revolution triple. This has uh, a lot more body to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, than the first triple. And not as much heat from the alcohol. Not way less heat. That's but true. it also there's a lot more to this beer. It's got kind of a creamy mouthfeel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the final gravity it's is. It's not exceedingly dry either, but it, I mean, it's not. No. It's not as dry as, certainly as the Duvel. It's very much about the balance of the things. I like it. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I, I have to say of the beers that we've had so far, if I were to sit down and, and drink a few, this is the one I could probably go back to easiest. Oh, I agree with that. Because it has some body, because it has a kind of balance. The hops are continental, spicy, noble hops, would you say? Yeah. They they do have a spicy note, but that could also be from the yeast. Could uh, be. But there is a bitterness. Yeah. It, it's a delicate bitterness. It's not like a, oh my God, this beer is so bitter. This is a very drinkable beer. And I think you're right, Pat. Like if I was going to have more than one beer, this would be this would be the pick. I wish I could suss out what's in the, in the nose of this that is so curious and nice, but it's almost like a Brett. I don't want to use, use the word acidity, but I do want to say like kind of a limey. Like, lime, a, like good. a lemon lime thing. There's something left in this beer. It's not all fermented out. I mean, and it could uh, be wheat. So I'm looking at the ingredients. They do have the ingredients on the label. It's given in five different languages, interestingly. Love it. Can you read all those to us, please? I'll just, I'll just skip to the English, I think. Water, malted barley, fermentable sugar, hops, yeast. That's it. No yeah. adjuncts at all. Yeah. That gives me even more respect for the thing, yeah. frankly. One of the two people who founded this brewery is a guy named Yvonne DeBates. We, we listened to a podcast. It was a good beer hunting podcast. It's a and, great podcast. Re- and where I he- recommend it to anybody. He was quick to say that brewers shouldn't care about giving up recipes in any way mm. because his, his belief is the recipe is not the beer at all. Yeah. The brewer is the beer. Like all the decisions you make about uh, how to manifest what happens after those ingredients are assembled is, is the thing. The fact that uh, the ingredient list is... That sparse sure. is is a big deal, actually. Well, you're not giving very much away when you say it's got water, malted barley, yeast, and hops, and, well, and fermentable sugar. So it, yeah. it is that, true. That's, that's a recipe for a lot of beers, Pat. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought this back. Wonderful beer. It might be the best one so far, do you think? I think so. Now, what is the beer that you can get here in Columbus of Brasserie de la Sen, and where can you go to get it? So it's Terrace Bulba, and World of Beer carries it. This is Moinette by Brasserie Dupont. You think of Dupont, it's a farmhouse brewery, right? Totally apt when you go there because it's just in this tiny village. Yeah. I don't know. I, there, there are more cows in the village than commercial businesses, actually. There's just pastures all over the place and uh, farm animals there. The whole thing smells of cows, to be honest with you. That's and I, the terroir. So I drive up. I don't know what to expect there because I couldn't really figure out from the website what to expect. It turns out they only give tours once a month. There's a little gift shop there where they sell beers and um, other swag and things. And we got there 15 minutes after they closed. They're like, oh, come on in. Well, actually, there was the customer spoke English, but the person working there only spoke French. There's a whole wall of beers there. And it turns out DuPont makes all kinds of beers. Didn't know. They make a stout. They make a lager. They make a variety of things. And this What's beer, their stout called? It's called Monk Stout. Hmm. But the beer... It's super affordable. 750 milliliters Saison DuPont bottle, €2.20. That's cheap. That's like three bucks. Yeah, it's like three bucks, it's right? It's a quarter of what you'd pay here for the same thing. 
But I, I can only bring one suitcase back. I've got to fly. So I'm looking around, uh, you know, all the selection. And there's so many things. I haven't tried a lot of things. And in the end, I picked like three 12-ounce bottles. I walk up to the front and I put them on the counter. And the guy who speaks no English, he kind of looks at me, kind of gives me an incredulous look. Some gestures at this wall of beer, uh, says something in French, which was like, why did you come here? <laughs> I'm going to buy these three bottles like of beer. Like that. He said something in French to the tune of, why did you come here? So this beer, Moinette, so this is what DuPont is known for in um, in Belgium. I thought we should try it because I, have you ever seen it here in the States? Never. Never. What do you think? So it's a little cloudy. It's got a little bit of white head on it. Pretty high carbonation. Mm. Yours is cloudier than mine also, by the way. Fair enough. Because I think you I got, got the, you got, got the more of the, the drinks. I got the end yeah, of the Yeah, you got the first but, four. But it's not a clear, clear beer. Yeah. I just find it delicate, like in the nose and in the taste. Like there's a lot going on, but it's real subtle. Mm. It's eight and a half percent, and I don't think it drinks like it. It's it's uh, pleasantly peppery. It's got a nice, mm. almost uh, black pepper, uh, just kind of peppercorn taste to it. You know what this would pair well with, Pat? What's that? Food wise, cheese, mussels, muss. Oh yeah. Wouldn't this go? Wouldn't this go nice with some mussels, a baguette? Maybe some frites. Wow, it would go well with all of those things, actually. I, I think so, too. And they call this a blonde on the bottle. Well, that's because they make Mornette brown, and they make a Mornette blonde. They might even make three really? different versions of the Mornette. Interesting. Did you have any of the others while you were there? I did not. We stopped by DuPont. We're driving from the Ardennes to Ghent, and it was kind of a day. We dropped by Chimay and had lunch. And then we went to DuPont, and then we still had to go to Ghent. This so. sounds like a terrible afternoon. Well, that's the best Monday I've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. <laughs> now, Pat, we've talked before. I absolutely love the town of Ghent. Oh, Ghent, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Oh, I think it's the most underrated uh, city in Europe. Very picturesque. Yeah. It's a working town. It's not a tourist town. So many pleasant mm-hmm. things to see and do there. It's and, got the uh, canals and, and that classic sort of Belgian architecture. Fantastic. Yeah, it's beautiful. The name Moinette comes from the old French word moin. Uh, what does moin mean? It means something along the lines of swamp. So it turns out that area around where Torps is, where DuPont is located, is sort of kind of marshy. I think part of the reason you might feel this is less hopped than the Saison is I think it has more residual sweetness than the Saison. Mm. Maybe. Which and makes it really drinkable. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like it's not as dry. Yeah, this is delicious. Why do you think it is that more breweries, especially here in Ohio, more American breweries don't make some of these styles? It's not that common to see triples or, or golden strongs. Mark, as someone who works in the industry, what, what's your opinion on why there aren't more of these? I have no idea. I don't think that many people drink them. You think I it's think just that a... It's a niche. I think some Belgian styles are known. I think that... Uh, the word sour resonates with people. I think the letters IPA resonate with people. I think it takes a long time for Americans to like stick to something and then they stick to it. Just like Tide, McDonald's, or Budweiser. That's my opinion. And I'm not talking to everyone in America. Sure. I do really think that I, I just think it takes a while for stuff to like become a trend to where anybody's going to put any effort into it. Rock Mill does an exceptional triple in my opinion that's That's probably the style they make the best i do really like this new belgian pilsner i don't think you've had it yet pat but 
I haven't tried it. We'll we'll have that this week while you're still in town. Yeah, um, it's exceptional. But I think the triple is probably the one that they nail the the best. They're kind of known for that. While we're you know talking about local places that make good Belgian style beers, let me just give a shout out to a couple of small places that I think do make exceptional beers, and that would be Stoss. So I think Stoss makes the best Golden Strong in Ohio. It's I think it's called Golden Delicious, but you got to go there to drink it. And then the other one that's also a small brewery is Granville Brewing. I've been blown away by some of their Belgian beers. I have not had much Granville beer. You know, it's, it's it, just it, not very accessible. It, you just don't see it anywhere. It doesn't come into Columbus much, yeah. So the question is, how do we measure the success of these beers or these breweries, right? And if it's by distribution, which is kind of the conversation we just started having, oh, where can I get this beer? Do I have to go to Granville mm-hmm. to have this beer? That's one measure of success. Or are we just measuring it on the quality of the product and the people who are drinking it like that beer, right? Michael Jackson in in his Beers of Belgium book just makes this offhanded comment of a certain style having always only been drunk in the shadow of the smokestack. And by that he means the folks who are drinking this beer were drinking it right where the beer was brewed and, and nowhere else. It wasn't designed for export. It wasn't even carted out of this town into the next. They were drinking the local thing. And if that's good beer, then that's good, hmm. right? So the question is, is distribution, or you asked why this beer we're drinking now isn't exported to the U.S.? And should that factor into our calculus of is this a good beer or not, or who thinks this is a good beer and why, hmm. right? Although I have to say there's a certain element of that that has actually been turned precisely on its head. Okay, maybe I could have found it, but I really didn't see Saison de Pont anywhere when I was in Belgium. Even a more extreme case, I visited this amazing uh, little brewery, Fantôme, which I think you guys have heard of. That I've makes, had that beer. It makes it kind of a, a Saison-style beers. It's actually just one guy, just a one-man brewery. I've seen his beers in Tokyo. I've seen his beers in uh, Edinburgh. I've seen him here in Columbus, in Boston. He said now in the Philippines they want them. Oh, I'm just going to stay in the town next over. Where can I find the beer? He's like, he's kind of frustrated that they won't sell my beer there anymore. It would be so hard to find it in Belgium. You know, you have to go to his tap room. But yet you can find it in Tokyo. I mean, there's a lot of beers that are like really popular, especially in the United States, that are kind of no big deal in Belgium. Well, (laughs) classes are empty again.